0: I'm a writer on Golden Girls and then, you know, I write funny stuff and then this tragic thing happens. I didn't feel equipped to deal with it. um
1: Welcome to Fails, Falls, and Fuck-Ups, where we talk to amazing, successful people about the times that they were amazingly unsuccessful. And joining me today is a man whose pen is mightier than his sword collection because he's taken that pen and he has cut off slabs of cultural zeitgeist for you to enjoy. Stan Zimmerman. Stan, how you doing?
0: I'm just the biggest fuck-up you know, right?
1: One of the biggest fuck-ups. Okay, um,
0: thank you. I'm, I'm very proud to claim that, Yes.
1: So, Stan, let's get right into it. You are... Let's be honest. You fall a little bit north of the success-failure line. you You have numerous successes under your belt, under whatever belt you have in your house, there's so many successes. But I imagine that the path that led to that has been filled with potholes, with mistakes, failures, and just very frustrating situations. So if you wouldn't mind, bleed a little for my audience. Oh my
0: gosh. Uh, Well, first of all, I, I don't like to consider anything failures. So you may have to change the title of your show. So I look at them as learning experiences all of them. Yes, there are a couple of regrets. I started writing them down because I'm actually working on my book now um, called The Girls from Golden to Gilmore. And it's about all the wonderful women I've worked with and Roseanne. <laughs> but yes, in any career, you have ups and downs. And that's something I, at the beginning of my career, I didn't know. You, I always felt like, oh, once you started getting work, you're just going to stay at the top and go show to show to show. Uh, but even after you know, having such success with Golden Girls, being nominated for a Writers Guild Award, uh, I was still, I was driving to unemployment and I hid my car around the corner because I was too embarrassed that it was a nice car and I was collecting unemployment even though I, you know, gave into the system. Uh, so you have to be ready to weather the ups and downs of a career and how do you reinvent yourself? And I think, you know, during this whole COVID time, everybody has had to pivot. And figure that out. So I've kind of always been good about that. Like when one thing stopped, I went to the other.
1: Take us back into your early career where the learning curve was much steeper. How did you get started? And what would you say was the first real good learning experience?
0: Well, as I said, I think all of them are really good learning experiences. You have to take them in. And you may not know at the time what the lesson is, but accept it and uh, strive for better and be open for better. Uh, I knew there were certain points when, you know, we were getting staffed on many shows, but I would drive to work and I'd go through the beautiful gates of Paramount. You know, in the beginning when I would went through them, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going through them. And then on one TV show, I was like, oh, I'm going through these gates. And figuring out how to be happy, in that environment, um, so at that point, that was a, a big. That was way after uh, Golden Girls, but my writing partner, who is very spiritual, just said, "Look, we made a, a contract to be on this show, and it's not the, our number one show, and it was having a lot of trouble finding its feet. How can you make the best of it?" So that kind of turned my way of thinking. Of it's a very realistic approach. You're here. How do you make yourself happy in that environment? And once I figured that out, it changed everything. And then we kind of came up with the philosophy of um, kind of sweeping um, fear off the table. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to this in the show yet, but there's a spiritual way of looking at life of you have only two choices, love or fear. So I chose love and sweeping fear off the table. And um, I was actually, I'll I'll start name dropping now. Please do. This is the first one. Um, the great Tony Award winning actress, Susie Kurtz, um, who was doing a, an arc on my show, Rita Rocks, a sitcom I developed and ran on Lifetime.
1: With Nicole Sullivan, correct?
0: Nicole Sullivan, Tisha Campbell-Martin, uh, Ravi Vollman. That was just a great cast. She invited me to uh, be her plus one at an event honoring a friend and co-star of hers, uh, Cherry Jones. And in the limo, um, she was like, how do you do it every week? <laughs> And I'm like me, like you're a Tony Award winner. <laughs> and um you know, she started explaining some of her process. That's when I told her that we just believe that at the end of the week on a sitcom we're gonna have a really good script, or even just in writing any script. Um, it goes through a lot of different ups and downs, and we look at it as kind of snarly hair making it smoother, and so just getting to the end of a script, writing the end, and then rewriting 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 but trusting that it's going to be good at the end so many writers get caught up in oh my god it's horrible or i'll have friends that have sell a pilot and the minute they sell a pilot i'll call them and or text to congratulate them and they'll be like yeah but it's never gonna go i'm like but why why would you want to live in that space of negativity so i think for me it's just living in a much more positive space and if, if it doesn't go or Something bad happens with it, you'll figure it out. You know, you'll get up on your feet and uh, again, learn from that experience.
1: I think it's a great philosophy. And part of the reason for this show, in as much as it's branded Fails, Falls, and Fuck Ups, it's born out of the idea that I want to show people the mistakes you encounter are stepping stones and they're learning blocks. Very, very few things, if anything, is zero sum. It's not you succeed or you fail. You may not get the result you wanted. But there's a lot yes, to Yes, but that's
0: our own perception. So we are perceiving this is the path. And then when that path doesn't happen, then we feel like we're a failure or we made a mistake. And it's like, no, it's not a mistake. You're meant to go on this journey with it. You had to land here to learn this for the next phase. So I think using negative words creates more negativity. And it feeds into, like I, I tell my actors, why would you feed yourself like bad food? Then you're going to feel bad. So you have to feel good. So you may have to change the name of your show. Sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it makes a really, really fun font.
0: Yes. And it's good. And we love alliteration. So, you know, uh, but maybe you need like a subtitle, like lessons, lullabies and laughter. I don't know.
1: I am curious, this philosophy, which I think is a great philosophy. How long did it take you in your career to develop it? Because again, I like the journey. I like seeing the journey. And it's not so much like I joked, bleed for me. What I'm hoping to show is a couple illustrative examples of, I went through this and it taught me that.
0: Every single thing I go through, I went through that, it taught me that. So they're all lessons, every single one of them. I just don't want to get bogged down in the negativity of them. So even things, um, there was a show I was on and I, I came on there and I was you know young and I would ask questions. Well, why are these two, it was a buddy comedy. Why are they friends? And the writers were like, just write the jokes. No one cares on a TV show. Just keep going. I'm like, well, no, because I came from an acting background. So I'm like, well, you're going to have to tell the actors something. What is their motivation? I think give it some depth to it will we'll help. And, uh, you know, the more specific you are, I think the, the better writing you can do. You know, I, I, we lost a job, actually, on uh, Full House. <laughs> Going on staff there because uh, my previous shows said I had an attitude of problem because I asked those questions, and so you know maybe I, I I don't know any other way of doing it. You know that was their problem with with having to answer questions, and they probably didn't like that someone young and, and had inexperienced was questioning them because they had been on a bunch of TV shows.
1: And I've taken some of your classes, so I know how with how much of a deft hand you have with actors and performers. You really, you are a very good director. There's no even though about it. You are a very good director. And I really appreciated the couple times I've had an opportunity to watch you work or indeed once be directed by you. I didn't know you came out of acting because I do no research. That's
0: my skill. Yes. What is wrong with you? Uh, so I started an emotional issues, but uh, that's what it is. Okay. Uh, actually that's why I got into the business. I was, uh, started acting Well, I was making a plays in my basement. And I would act in them and direct them and kind of, we didn't really write them, it was more improv that, and then just repetition. Then I went to acting school at age seven and a half and I just loved acting and it was like everything I was going to do. I went to a summer stock in New Hampshire and then there they said, if you really are serious about acting, you had to go to New York and go to NYU. And luckily I auditioned and got in and that's where I met my writing partner, so I was acting during the day, and then writing sitcoms at night with him, and I realized I was too nervous going to auditions. Like Literally, my face would jiggle from nerves. I was like, well, maybe this isn't for me. I mean, I was super young, and I wasn't uh, comfortable in my own skin. Still working on it. We all are. Yeah. I mean, that's a process. But when I was writing with my writing partner, I just felt alive. And so I just kind of put acting to the side and really focused on on writing and that kind of took off but then while we were doing Gilmore Girls I got a call from Sean Hayes's agent and I thought he was going to pitch me an actor for Gilmore Girls and he's like no I want you and I loved I love reality so I was like oh my god this is fantastic and uh, I just had the best time and it started giving me more confidence which led to directing and finding the confidence to write on my own and direct on my own and not always with a writing partner. Being on camera gave me that uh, sense of uh, confidence. And um, then recently, I wrote a play uh, using Real Suicide Notes. And it was kind of, uh, it's called Right Before I Go. And it was uh, using like Kurt Cobain a War Veteran and LGBTQ and Kids That Were bullied. their real suicide notes.
1: It's a very important piece of work. It is.
0: Thank you. Um, so it was really just four actors on stools and, and read on music stands. So it could be done like vagina monologues with a day's rehearsal to raise money and awareness and benefits. And then, uh, I had a Broadway director, Michael Wilson involved. And he said, is there any way like you could tell your story with, uh, my very close friend of mine, Kevin died by suicide. And that was the impetus for me to create this piece. He said, when you tell that story, you're so funny and you bring humanity into it. And I'm like, oh, uh, I had never written alone. It was, for that piece, it felt like more like I was a curator. And I was like, well, I guess I could create a narrator character, but it's not me. It's a narrator. And every subsequent reading, everyone said, don't just say you're a writer, say you're a comedy writer. And then it's like, well, say you wrote for sitcoms, like be specific. And here I could give those lessons to other people, but I wasn't taking it myself. I finally just was like, I'm a writer on Golden Girls. And then, you know, I write funny stuff. And then this tragic thing happens. I didn't feel equipped to deal with it. And um, what I didn't know anything about suicide. And I went to the computer and Googled it. And that's how all the notes started coming up with the other actors. So we were doing it in Orlando, I think, about six, seven years ago on Suicide Prevention Day. And the actor playing me, I just said, get somebody old and funny. And he dropped out because he got a job. And my director said, you're in.
1: You're the old funny guy. I'm the
0: old funny guy. Get in there. And I, we went to do the table read. And I got to my friend's name. And I couldn't say it. It got stuck right here. And then my glasses started. It's a lot of pain to bring out. Yeah, it started filling with tears. And all the actors are holding my hand. It's OK. It's OK. And so now I've been acting in the play, going back to acting, playing a version of me. Uh, with high school students, college students. I did it at a high school in Claremont, California, with uh, students, faculty, and school board members. I did a virtual version with um, Vanessa Williams, Blair Underwood, Hari Neff, and Wilson Cruz. I'm about to go do it in Alabama. So suddenly I got thrown back into acting, not by choice, but um, and I'm really uh, in, uh, loving it because I get to connect and, all these different, very different um, communities. So I was back in October in my hometown of Detroit, and we did it uh, with Hill Harper uh, from The Good Doctor, and some students at uh, at a high school in downtown Detroit, and that was very cool and scary, and um, but cathartic in some ways. But it's so beneficial to raise. The discussion and that's what's so important.
1: It is really important cuz even now mental illness, the need to uh, not just mental illness but depression we're so conditioned certainly cer- certainly um I've been conditioned to hold everything in.
0: Well, especially as men we are.
1: Yes, we feel nothing. We are supposed to feel nothing just
0: That's why I enjoy writing for women because women can talk about their feelings. Yeah. And people say why yeah. do you write so much about girls and women? It's because guys, we're like, no, yes, blah, blah, you know, and for with women, it can be, it's much more verbal and it's more, more exciting as a writer to be eloquent in that way.
1: But there are cracks in the dam now. There, are, it, there is a movement towards finally coming to the realization that, no, we are as feeling there's, from an emotional standpoint, there's no men-woman divide or the whole, wherever you are on that spectrum. And we all are Feeling creatures, and we all have to deal with things like depression, disappointment, too much pressure, and the whole gambit of things.
0: Fails, falls, and fuck ups. Exactly. There you go.
1: I agree with you. Where when you grind on these negative words, my take on it is a little bit different. I like to point my finger at things and laugh at them and remove the power from them.
0: Destigmatize them.
1: Yes. Thank you for the words. That's why you're the writer. There
0: you you go. I don't know.
1: And I'm the guy who occasionally like um, uses your trash can.
0: Oh, you're the one. Um, uh, yes, yeah. so uh, I think it's important to have the discussions, but uh, I'm sure you saw recently there was a university that I was supposed to be doing the play at uh, about uh, a month ago, and they, the head of their mental health department said they didn't think they should be doing a play about suicide because it would encourage suicide, which is the exact opposite of what the mental health um, field is at now and the play is only an hour and then I add on a half hour for every show of a talkback with a local mental health professional. So it's very important to talk about it. Did anything trigger you? or, or And those talkbacks for me is the most important part of the play. And it, it is so beautiful and the people, because in the play I'm very open about everything. So it, I think it encourages people to share their experiences.
1: Also, your play Your play might be the first. There might be somebody in that audience who are having these thoughts and they don't know how to articulate them and they don't know how to bring them out. And your play may very well be the first avenue that that person experiences that enables them to form their thoughts and it gives them an avenue to express them in a way that can be beneficial to them as opposed to sitting there and grinding on them. I have to admit, when I saw that your play got canceled because of that, I was saddened, of course. Um, One, I'm serious about it. It is one of the most important things I think you've done. You've done a lot of great work, but this this is an important thing that I feel you're doing. This is a good service to a lot of people, and you are to be commended for that. It made me angry.
0: The cancellation of it made me push further, and it just um, got picked up by a community theater, the first community theater to do this play. They'll be doing it in June in Monroe, Wisconsin. So There were some doors closed and then other doors Mm open. But I felt it actually is a part of a bigger discussion of, you know, uh, the Florida laws about, you know, you can't talk about anything LGBTQ. You can't talk about race. I mean, we're in this culture now where you can't talk about actual things that have happened or how you feel are happening. So that's going to lead more kids to suicide more kids writing notes, which was exact opposite of what I want to do.
1: It is weird in the land of the free, the home of the brave, how frightened a lot of people are to confront actual facts.
0: And it's, it can be messy, but I'm always, I always have been pushing and leaning into we need to have more of these messy discussions. And if we just are on our own corners, then we will never get in there and have it. You know, like the whole thing with the Whoopi Goldberg situation. Yeah. And it was like, you know, she could consider that a fail or a fuck-up. And I'm like, no, look what the discussion you've provoked. Race in Judaism is such an interesting topic, and so many people have very different views of it. I'm like, her show is called The View. Her point of view is from her point of view. I'm not in her shoes. I don't know how she feels, but I would love to talk and hear why she does think that, and maybe we can explain. No, well, there was the Aryan race was considered a race. (laughs) So it was written into Mein Kampf. Think of it that way. You may not think of you may. She may think of race as just color, but maybe now through this whole experience, you'll see, oh, there's all these other sides. And that's what I think is important have the discussion. But I was kind of shocked. Some people on Facebook No, she needs to be punished. I'm like punished. No, <laughs> or silenced. She needs to be in the town square having the conversations with everybody.
1: It is definitely teachable moments and we have to lean into them as opposed to swatting them down, even if we disagree with the point being brought up.
0: And it's not like there's some issues, you know, like with LGBTQ rights. To me, that's there's no two sides to that issue. Everybody has the right to be who they are. Yes. As long as their viewpoints aren't causing like, you know, violence or harm, I think it's important to elevate that discussion.
1: On the one hand, it has gotten almost, to some degree, very frightening with the fractionalization of the country, with the the polarization. On the other hand, we've seemed to have come so far just from the 80s. As a child growing up, there was nothing where I came from, which was Philadelphia. There was nothing worse that you could call another boy than...
0: You can say it. Fag, yes. You
1: can say it. I can't.
0: Okay, okay, yeah.
1: If we we lived in what I would consider the perfect world, things like religion, color, sexuality would be about as important and relevant to the daily conversation as hair color or tastes in food, just another aspect of life.
0: Well, important aspects of life, you know, the the, other people go, well, like you should be colorblind. Well, no, I mean, that's part of your history and how you walk in the world as, as. You know so is my judaism even though i don't practice it it's still a part of me every moment that i get up every time i use my hands like this
1: you know? yeah i know i mean i do the same thing no what i'm i i did not mean that no, i know it shouldn't be a thing everything's a thing but it's like i as i culturally relate to most people in the exact same way i culturally relate to everybody else there are pieces of my culture. That is totally different than their culture. That doesn't matter. That just gives you an experience to experience something new, learn something new. What I meant is that in the ideal world, somebody's sexuality wouldn't be something that they are judged on. Somebody's color wouldn't be something that they are judged on. We don't live in that world. And I don't know that that world's even attainable because of the history of the one we actually live in. So there is a cultural experience to being black that I will have never experienced. And I understand that there's a cultural experience to what I have that other people haven't experienced.
0: But how can we experience it? So to me, you know, there's this feeling now like, you can only write what you are. Like, so that means I could never have written Golden Girls because I am not an older woman. Of course not. But to me, I want to use these moments of stepping into those shoes. Like I did when I uh, directed my production of Diary of Anne Frank by casting Latinx actors. That was my artistic concept, was um, these actors were putting their feet in the shoes of those people. How do they feel like? How do they feel different? That, the more we can do that, I think. So I, that's why I yes. cherish writing other kinds of people that aren't like me, because that's a way for me to go, oh, I didn't. Or if I'm ever getting in trouble, like like how do I react in a situation? I was like, well, if I was in their shoes, how would I feel? I've thought that way for a long, long, long time. So it's just about, it's a matter of being sensitive. And now, you know, empathy. Empathy, which, you know, obviously the last administration, that was a negative word. And then there, you know, there's a, a big group of people that are trying to make woke a bad thing. To me, being sensitive and empathetic is a good thing, you know, and it's turned on its side. Oh, you're too, you're too empathetic. You're too sympathetic. I'm like, I, how can you be too sympathetic? I just, you know, I feel for other people. I just, that's just my nature.
1: And it comes out in your work. I was going to mention the diary van Frank, because that is the last play of yours that I've seen in person. And um, it devastated me. It absolutely, because I come from, I also come from a Jewish lineage, the whole idea of having, especially at that moment where ice was running rampant, it added such layers of, of commentary without saying an additional thing on this, Play and you did not alter the play at all.
0: I wasn't allowed to change the words, even though Drudge and Breitbart printed that I changed the script and made the Nazis ICE agents, which is how we got death threats. We had to take the poster down from the marquee at the theater. We had to have a drill in case anything happened during the middle of the play. We didn't know. I remember. Luckily, people finally got to see it and they go, like, Oh, I get it. Like, this is. No, you're 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 uh, celebrating and teaching her life through a different perspective, and that was what was so cool about it. And I hope to, you know, we can bring the play back if schools start having events like this. But when I, we did school groups coming to the shows, because I found that they don't teach The Diary of Anne Frank in schools anymore in California, it's not required reading, so that's why you know when they do surveys a lot of kids don't know who Anne Frank is.
1: we're getting further and further away from memorances of
0: yes. the Holocaust so we had uh, whenever we had school groups come we had a survivor come speak for a talk back and that was so cool because those kids treated them like rock stars and they loved it so they would contact me and go when's the next one and you know unfortunately we lost two of the survivors you know since doing the play uh, two years ago so that's know that is becoming uh, a memory and that's why we have to find new ways to do the play i think how can we touch other people yes and for kids to see other kids going through this they were like i think it's much different now because we've kind of been locked away in our homes so suddenly they they can connect more to oh my god that what was they understand what that's like of course they didn't have to like be quiet during the day it's a little a little different
1: slightly But again, that, um, as I said, not only it's, it's the last time I've been in a theater seeing the play, the most touch I've ever been by a play. Just like when I say devastated, I, I had to collect myself before leaving the seat to say hello to the actors because I didn't want to bawl in front of them.
0: (laughs) Why? What made you the starkness of it? For for me... (sighs) I, I loved adding like humor and that you were laughing and you almost forget what's ha- going to happen to them. That's what I, I, I the people that, that talk to me about the play is like, you see like, oh my God, all these like weird people trapped in an apartment. It's so
1: hopeful till the end. Yes, It's and hopeful till the end. Them. And then that last, yes. And that last moment where the father, and I can't remember who the actor's name was who played it. When the father came onto the stage and just with such passionate desperate despair talks about
0: the death of each one
1: the death of these people
0: so that's not even it. now okay. I, I want you to realize <laughs>
1: even now like i am here and i'm on the verge of crying because it was such
0: what well, was stop-
1: a pow- it was it was the most powerful moment i've experienced in a theater you did that to me god
0: damn you with nothing but a black box theater, a white long mm-hmm. table that I envisioned as the trains. So I had all the characters hiding, huddling under the train. And then that door burst open, remember, it was a completely black set. And this light came through. Mm-hmm. No Nazis in the play. There's supposed to be all these Nazis coming in. You just, it was through the light that we saw that. And he stands up. And then as he mentions each name, of the character stood up and walked towards the light in silence and that was just something i created in my brain it's not at all written that way in the script
1: emotionally devastating to me it was it was it was a stunning way of presenting that from my opinion
0: to me it's like when you're okay you have a dollar 50 to make the show how do you do it right uh so and i remember the beginning of it is you come in and you just see mountains of black and from the beginning of the play, those actors I've had underneath black blankets for 20 minutes, while you're sitting in the theater, nobody has ever said, oh, I saw them under there. So they were in hiding. And then I started the play, I don't know if you remember, they were all in hoodies, gray hoodies. Because mm-hmm. that's what we gave uh, people when, we took, when I took them away. We took their clothes. So I started everybody in gray and black. And then they unzipped it, and you started seeing a t-shirt with a color. And then in Act 2, that whatever their color was, they were in period clothes of that color. And it was a rainbow of, so like, to me, that's a little bit of my Wizard of Oz damage, of it going from black and white to color. I'm like, well, how do I do that on a stage? And they also were reading the scripts, if you remember that. And then they were, it was this, uh, these families were stuck hiding, and this is how they entertained themselves, by reading the script. And then the scripts they folded them then they slowly disappeared and you never saw them disappear. And suddenly they're walking around the stage, just doing the lines. And so that was,
1: even when they had the scripts, you lost track of the fact that they had scripts. It, it starts off very, it started off very much like here's this workshopping kind of black box production. Yeah, and some thing, people were and- like,
0: I paid money to see people read a script. And then they were like, Oh, Holy fuck. What's happening here. Yeah. So that was one of the, I think that I felt like I was almost painting with imagery and colors and sounds. And again, they were reading uh, bombs. And then suddenly I added, you know, a bomb coming in. And then all we, then we had marching of the Nazis outside. So it was adding sounds and lights and color throughout the
1: piece. And as you said, a lot of these decisions, or some of them at the very least was born out of the fact that there just wasn't resources to pay for things. And so a lot of really, Interesting, creative things came out of a lack of resources. Your friend
0: Tracy, she was selling her white table. <laughs> she was like, you want it? $10, come get it. And that became our set. So <laughs> one little table and a couple of chairs, and, and, and you have a play. And that's why I tell people, if you're failing or feeling like a fuck-up, buy a $10 table. Make a play. You can make your own content. Again, you know, there's so many times in this business where like, you're met with no's know this, know that, you can't do that. Or I've been told, No, be quiet. You you can't do something like that. Or we'll pitch something. Uh, We had a big deal at 20th Century Fox and the executive said, it's never been done. And I left there going, that's not a reason not to do it because it's never been done. That's the reason probably why you should do it. Um, So to me, it's just figuring out ways around it. Always like ways around, you know, people telling you why you can't do it. And that's what keeps me going and, and keeps me excited about uh, waking up every day and creating content.
1: Dare I ask, what is your most creative left turn you ever took? Just where out of, this isn't working, so I know we're gonna do this.
0: I don't think we ever were like that, like, oh, let's pivot how to do it. It just is something, this excites me. Or, um, you know, luckily when sit- I've been in the business long enough where we've seen sitcoms, they're over, they're done. And so then naturally all of a sudden the Brady Bunch came into our life and uh all of a sudden we were doing movies and then you know uh musicals came in that we just happened to be next door to Zayden and Marin who were doing the Annie movie and they were saying to us you know you have to help us rewrite the script and we're like Annie like why would you rewrite Annie it's just you know it is what it is and we accepted the job, and thank God we did, and suddenly that opened up whole avenues for us of, of writing musicals, and that was exciting, and so it, it's kind of cool to, you know, push yourself in different areas, but there's are certain ones where I just don't feel like I'm not a sci-fi person, so that's not something I, I would uh, gravitate to. but who knows?
1: I'm sure you would do fine at it, because you do fine at just about everything you do. Or, at the very least, it'll be a spectacular failure. No, it will not be be, a failure. No, no, no. It will not not be be a failure. failure. It'll be a learning learning experience. And then you'll just take something else out of it. I want you to give advice to those. I mean, you do this all the time, but do it here. Give advice to somebody just starting out, be it acting, writing, or just it doesn't even matter what their dream is. They've got a dream. Give them something to help them on their dreams, Dan.
0: Keep dreaming. When you're asleep, dream about it. When you're in bed, in that, like, I don't want to get out of bed. Keep dreaming it. That's what I did when I was a kid in high school. I remember just sitting in my bed, and I thought, I'm not a writer, but I have these ideas. If I could find somebody that I could create with, I didn't know the idea of a writing partner. So I was dreaming of that while I was awake, I guess, and I created that. So I keep doing that. I keep putting, literally, ask the universe. I know it's very spiritual and woo-woo, but ask the world. what you want, and it comes back. I just had this happen literally two days ago. I asked the world I needed this for uh, my suicide note play. 24 hours later, it appeared, and I'm like, wow, that was fast. So don't be afraid to put it out there, but also don't be afraid that when it comes back at you to grab it. You know, sometimes people say, oh my God, it's here. Like, now what do I do? Or I'm not good enough, and I'll mess it up, or I'll fuck it up, no. Just get in there and do it. Just get in there, and do it, and keep keep going at it.
1: Great, thank you so much for that. So let's end on you shamelessly plugging yourself. What would you like my listeners and viewers to find of yours? To find you.
0: Follow me. Uh, I, I love my Instagram, uh, Zimmerman Stan. Uh, I love telling the story of my ups and downs. And you know, I had great grief last year, and I talked about that. You know, it's not all you know hanging out with celebrities it's or writing this great tv show there's things you have to you know pick yourself up or you have to stay in bed another day and kind of you know lick the wounds and then and then pick yourself up what's your question not at all not at all um not not in the least but that's fine but but just keep keep laughing and find the joy i mean it's just Especially in what we do, like it's just—it's fun. It's really fun, and and surround yourself with people that see the way you do and 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 laugh like that. And if if there are people that are negative, like that's kind of the world telling you, okay, that's not where you need to be, because there's enough like-minded people that can celebrate you. You know, there's so many people, especially like in this town, that are trying to tear down other people. I think other people are successful. Like, how exciting to watch them, um, you know, shine. And I love that one. That's why I love teaching so much. When I see, you know, actors that, um, one actor that just did my last play, have a good one, um, he dreamed of being on a sitcom, never was on a sitcom. And he did my little 50-seat theater play, and I had um, the casting director from the Mayan Bialik show, Call Me Catcom. The show closed on a Sunday. He auditioned on Tuesday. The next week, he was in his first sitcom. So, say yes and do it, even if you don't see where the where the road's going to lead. You just never know.
1: And there's a lot of truth to be said about who you surround yourself with. You, I believe the saying is, you are a conglomeration of the five people you hang out with all the time. So you want to choose those people correctly.
0: There you go. See, look look what we've done for you already.
1: I feel lighter in spirit already, Stan.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me, and um, best of luck with this project.
1: Why, thank you. I am, I am hopeful. I am hopeful here. Maybe here, too. We'll see where it goes. Stan, thank you for being a friend. All you can turn the world on with is smile. <laughs> Was there a question that I really should have asked Stan, but I simply didn't? If so, let me know in the comments. And again, follow me on all the socials that you can. I'd appreciate it. Next week, I'm joined by SiriusXM host, as well as the star of the show, Skin Deep with Sharon Morton. Sharon Morton. I really just thought it was the end for me, like the end of my life. I didn't think I was going to make it. So much so that I read my will to my adult children.